0: Hey, this is Jeremy Isaacs, lead pastor of Generations Church, where we want to live like it matters. For more information about our church, you can visit us at g.church. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. Thanks again for listening. How's everybody doing? We good? We're good. We're good. You guys sound great today. You sound like you got an extra hour of sleep. I don't know what that is, but but, uh, you guys sound great. You look fantastic today. Why don't you turn to your neighbor and say, you look good today. Look to the person that was your second choice and say, you look like you lost an hour of sleep. You look like you might need to go take a nap after this. Uh, I am so glad that you're here today. I'm thankful that you chose to be here. You made a good choice. And welcome to those of you that are watching online today. We're glad that you're with us as well, and we're thankful for you and thankful for what God did this weekend at our Marriage Matters Conference. You're going to hear a little bit more about that at the end of our time today, but just a great time Friday night of laughter and food and fellowship, and then again on Saturday just digging into God's Word and just great principles and, and practical ways just to... Live the marriage uh, that God has intended for us. And so we had engaged all the way up to those who have been married a long, long time. Just a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience in the room and just a really special time together. And we've already got the dates for next year that we're working on and we'll plan uh, just another great event. So when we start talking about that, we want you to be here. But it was just a really, really special time. I'm thankful for that. Thankful for all of you that joined us. Uh, this weekend for Marriage Matters. And then uh, you heard about it on the video. I want to hit it one more time just because it's this coming week. But if you're a man in the room, let me hear a woo-hoo. Okay, that sounded weird. Okay. But um, I, am, I am thankful for the men of the house, and I want you to join me this Saturday night for March Madness. I want you to be here. Uh, we're going to have a great time. We'll have some March Madness basketball games on a bunch of TVs throughout the lobby. Uh, but you don't have to be a basketball fan, You're a sports ball fan. You know, you can just come and eat some good food and, and have some time of fellowship together. And uh, we've got a great guest speaker, uh, Bruce Deal from the City of Refuge. Great ministry of over two decades down in the most dangerous zip code of Atlanta. Just doing really amazing life-giving ministry there. He's also the founder of Most, which is Men Opposed to Sex Trafficking, a part of the House of Cherith that rescues women and young girls out of the trafficking industry, if you want to call it that. He served in the last three administrations, last three presidents in the the, the advisory councils and boards for uh, against human trafficking. But he's just a really great communicator, a lot of incredible stories. He's going to come and be with us. So I want you here. I want to join with you on that night. And so I want to make sure that you prioritize that time. So ladies, kick your man out of the house this coming Saturday night, get him here, let him register. He will do what you tell him to do. So you tell him to be at March Madness. That's the way it works. So Uh, We want you here for that. Today, I'm concluding a little two week look at a subject we've been calling dollars and cents. And last week, we looked to the Bible, not just to good biblical or not just to good uh, money management principles, but we looked to the Bible uh, to really look at the things that we do with our money. And we talked about you've got income, you got money coming in, you got expense, it's the things that you're spending money on. We talked about saving money. We talked about investing money. We talked about giving money. And again, we said, these are not just good principles. They are good principles, but they're not just good principles. They are biblical principles. Every single one of those we found within the pages of scripture. And we believe that God is honored when we handle the things that he entrusts into our hands in the way that he intended us to do it, And so that's we, we believe there's some right ways and some wrong ways to handle your money We really do and not just your money We believe there's some right ways and some wrong ways and they're found in god's word We don't just get to make it up as we're kind of do in life We believe that god gives us guiding principles as we pursue him in growing measure and in growing relationship And so there is a, the aspect of obedience. Everybody just say obedience Right? That's what we want from our kids sometimes when they're younger and we're teaching them. When someone gives them something, we say, say thank you. We kind of pat them on the back, say thank you. Right? What do we want them to do? We want them to obey in that moment, but we don't wanna to have to keep telling them to obey when they're 35 years old, right? I mean, like we don't want them sitting at the Thanksgiving table when they're 35 and somebody serves them you know, their food and we're like, okay, say thank you. Like they're, they're, they're older, they're, they're mature, they're adults. Hopefully they're mature. They're adults, like we want them to have learned that's what you should do. We don't want them just to obey. We want them to want to do what is right and thank people. And when they're little, we say, hey, go clean your room. And we want them to obey, but they have a choice just like we have a choice, right? They can obey and go clean their room or they can disobey. Let me just say, eventually they're gonna still go clean their room, but they could disobey but what we want them to do is to develop a desire to pick up after themselves and to make sure they honor what they have and the possessions and the things that they've been given and entrusted with. And, and so we want obedience, but we don't want it to stop at obedience. We want it to grow from obedience into a desire to do what is right. It's the same in marriage. Corey and I are married, and, and we stood before her pastor and grandfather and my dad, and we, we committed ourselves to one another, and we made vows to one another to say, hey, uh, we, we commit ourselves for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health till death do us part. And there is some aspect, this is probably not the right word, of obedience. And we say, well, I mean, that's what I've gotta do. You know, I mean, I committed myself but to do that. And, but, but we want it to, and we should desire, and we talked about this a little bit even this week with our Marriage Matters Conference. Like, we should have this thing on the inside of us that rises up to go beyond just obeying our commitment or obeying the covenant to say, no, 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 I, I have a desire to love her and to support her and to care for her and to do life. with. There's something on the inside of me that rises up that's different than just these external things. Well, I made a promise and I I guess I got to keep it. No, no, no. Now there's something on the inside that says, no, I want to keep it. I I want to live in that way and show the love that I have for her. And so we want to move beyond just this thought of obedience. And a few months ago, I heard this idea of moving beyond obedience to something else. Now, Make sure, here's what I'm gonna just kind of preface this. I'm gonna stop justifying it after this moment, but let me just say that if any point throughout this time today, I get a little tongue-tied and I say something that makes it sound like you shouldn't be obedient, just go like, man, I love Pastor Jeremy. He didn't mean to say that because I mean that we should be obedient, but there should be something beyond obedience. Like there should be something that's kind of a next step even beyond that. It's not just obedience for obedience' sake, let's look at let's look at the Bible, Philippians chapter two. We'll we'll kind of jump around in a couple of different places today, but Philippians chapter two. I'm reading from the New Living in this passage. I'm going to go back to the NIV and, and most of the other ones today. But this is what it says: the Apostle Paul writing to the church here in Philippi, he says this: "Dear friends, verse twelve and thirteen. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions. You you were obedient. You you knew what you were supposed to do, and you did it when I was with you. And now that I'm away, it's even more important." Work hard to show the results of your salvation. Now, just pause for a second real quick. Like, you're not saved through your works, but your works reveal your salvation. Your works reveal that there's a change in your heart. Your works reveal that there's something there. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God. There it is, obedience. That's what we should do with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you. Everybody say, in you. In you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So like you've already got the obedience thing, he's saying. like you figured that out. You've got obedience. That's what you should do, so obey. But then God is working in you to make sure that it doesn't stop in obedience. It doesn't stop just like you're supposed to do this and so this is what we do. Like, okay, obey, do what's right, follow the 10 commandments, don't make sure you do You know, just, okay, it's time to worship. Everybody lift, your, okay. And now it's just like, I've got the obedience part. No, God is working in us to give us the desire, that thing on the inside of us, and the power and the ability to do what pleases him. It's something beyond obedience. We follow the rules. We need to keep doing that. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling, with deep reverence and fear. We allow the works of our life to reveal our salvation. But God is working in us. And that work in us is taking us beyond just doing it for obedience sake. This, this is what I heard a few months ago that really kind of spurred this thought on. There is a difference in external obligation and internal motivation, right? There's a difference. Because your parents telling a toddler, say thank you, that's an external thing. You're obligated to do it as a toddler because mom said you have to do it. But there's something that shifts in us as that work is being done by the Spirit of God and maturity is happening that we go just from the external obligation to that internal motivation that says, I'm going to do this because this is what's right. I'm gonna do this because I want to. I'm gonna do this because it honors the relationship. I'm gonna do this because I don't want my mom to have to come behind me and clean up my towels because I just left them laying on the floor. I'm not preaching at any of my kids right now. It's just, it's just coming out. It's just happening. Like, I'm just, I'm just gonna pick up after myself because I, I want to. I'm just gonna do what's right because it, it, on the inside of me, it makes sense that this is what I should want to do, and I have this desire, and I have the ability to do it. This is the worst way to say it. So, if you're an English teacher in the room, you're about to start sweating. It's something like this. There's a difference in get to and got to. Like I, I don't. I mean, I. I gotta clean my room. I gotta clean my room. I, I got. I got to. I don't know. You get to. You. You, you have. A room, a bed, clothes, possessions, toy, like you you get to do that. Like I don't got to honor my covenant marriage, I I get to. There's a difference in external obligation and internal motivation. It takes us beyond obedience into relationships. When we talk in our church, I referenced when I came back up at the end, I wasn't supposed to do that, but I came back up. We sang that song, You Are Holy, with our G team this morning. We, they show up early. They make coffee and they prep the spaces and they clean the toys and get all the stuff ready so that when you arrive, they're ready for you. And so we huddle together before the nine o'clock service in this room and we worship and we fill this place with praise and, and we pray over these chairs and like we just set the atmosphere. First one in the room sets the tone. Every meeting you're in, come into church, first one in the room sets the tone. So we set the tone for the day. And we, we worship and we, we have an incredible team of volunteers. But, like, let me just speak to you for a second. If you're not on the team, like, you can plug your ears for a second. Like, if you are on the team and you only serve because you have to, you only serve because at some point we had a need and somebody guilted you into it. It's like, you get in your car on Sunday morning, like, you wanted to sleep in today. You just be honest. It's between you and the Lord, but we know. Like, you wanted to sleep in today, you don't want to come. It's like, ugh. Well, I guess I have to. I mean, I'm I'm, so, I'm on the schedule. They, they sent me a planning center thing. Like, I, I, I got to go. I have to. Like, if that's your heart and that's your mindset, I'm not talking about today. I'm talking about just in general. If you, if you just have this overwhelming sense of I have to do this, then like, just, just go meet with our team today and just say, hey, I need to take some time off because I've lost the heart of what it is that we truly desire for you. We, we, we say this and it's not just on a wall and it's not just meant to be on a t-shirt and on, on a document. Some, like we don't just want something from you. Like we truly want something for you. I want you getting in your car on Sunday when you leave this place and go, whew, today was a great day. I changed like eight kids' poopy diapers. It was fantastic. Because you know what I did? I received those kids into that classroom and we made macaroni crafts And man, we had so much fun dancing. They didn't know any of the words of the songs that were on that screen as we worshiped God, but they just, they made a joyful noise. They were loud the whole time. But I know that because I was doing that, their moms and dads were downstairs worshiping God too. I watched that mom that was nervous about handing off their little little two-year-old and that two-year-old was a little nervous about mom walking away. And there were some tears on that cheek, but I wiped those things and we turned into having fun pretty quick. And I'm so glad that I serve today. I don't have to, I get to. It's Like, well, I'm an introvert. I don't want to stand at that door and greet anybody. I, 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 don't, want to, I don't want to talk to people, I, but I, I, don't, I don't have to, but I get to. Somebody told me right after the, the nine o'clock service this morning, one of our GT members, he came up to me and he said, somebody walked up to me this morning. He was like, it was before you preached, so it had to be the Lord. I was like, I don't know how to take that. I'm not really sure what that means, but I'm going to choose to believe the best in you, sir. That's what, but he said, "But even before you preached, he said, I greeted somebody at the door and he said, they told me this is the friendliest church I've ever visited. And I thought, that's what we want. That's what we want. We don't have to. We get to. It's not just obedience for obedience sake. It's not just doing what we have to do. It's what we get to do, what God invites us into. And let me just say to you, that is why we talk about Discovery Track. This is not an infomercial, I promise. But that's why we talk about it. It's something that we've co-opted from a number of different resources, but it's just our opportunity to share our heart with you We've changed the format. The first part of it's all on demand. All you gotta do is go register for it. We'll send you the link. You just watch it yourself, watch the videos. You hear our heart, you hear what we're about. We try to help you determine who you are and that God created you on purpose for a purpose. And then there is an opportunity for you to say, hey, I wanna join the team. I wanna make a difference. But if you say, hey, it's not for me right now. That's okay. But if you do choose to take that step, we want you to do it not because you have to, but because you get to. Because God's calling you to it and you recognize that there are passions and gifts on the inside of you. And let me just say to you, like we've got, we got more vision and more heart to do more things than we're currently doing right now, but we're just being patient for God to send the resources for us to be able to do those things and for God to send the right people for us to be able to do those things. There are some ministries we wanna start, some things we wanna do, but the, the, the right team's not in place yet to do some of those things. So we just wait patiently Asking God to send the right people and the right resource at the right time so that there is enough provision for the vision that he's given to us. We have the desire, but maybe we don't have the ability yet. But what the Apostle Paul said is like he's working within us to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Let me show you another example this is a letter called 2 Corinthians. This is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to a church at the city of, in the city of Corinth. And a number of places in the two letters that he writes to them in Corinth, he is addressing issues that they have presented to him, either in another letter to him or through messenger. And so they've sent him some things or he's heard some things through the messengers or came in, hey, what should we do about this? And what do you say about these types of spiritual gifts? And, what? and he, he responds to them in the letter of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians is a lot of his responses. But in this spot in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, he's not necessarily responding to them. He's casting a little vision to them for them to kind of step up and say, hey, it, it, it's different than obedience. Like, let me say that there should be something on the inside of you, Corinth that you should wanna be a part of what God's doing. This is what we read in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, and this is my favorite way for us to kind of walk through some long passages, so we're gonna read a few verses and talk a little bit and read a few verses. I told the team uh, last, uh, yesterday, and I told the nine o'clock service, I'm liable to preach an hour and a half, so if you don't talk back, I'm gonna preach a long time today, okay? So here we go, chapter, chapter eight, verse one. And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonia churches. Now, just stop for a second. He's writing to the city of Corinth. He's writing to the people there at that church, and so it'd be like, if, if I left and I wrote you a letter and I'm telling, and they read it aloud on a Sunday and they're like, hey, let me tell you this amazing story about what a different church is doing that you guys aren't doing yet. Like, it doesn't work in churches all the time, but it really works among my kids. Here's what it says. Let me tell you about some other people and what they're doing. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Now, just pause for a second. We're going to jump back in in a minute, but just look at what he's doing right here. He's saying, "Hey, hey, church at Corinth, like you're doing great things. It's awesome." He's going to brag on them here in just a second. He's going to tell them, "You they do so many things in an excellent way." But let me tell you what your brothers and sisters in Macedonia are doing. In severe trial, with overflowing joy, in extreme poverty, there's rich generosity. Have you ever met anybody, ever been in a place where it's just like they don't seem to have a reason to be joyful, but they are? You ever met anybody like that? Like, there's almost no reason that they should have joy, but it's all over them. It's all over their face, it's all all over everything that they do. I told you, I told some stories when I came back, but at the beginning of this year, I flew to the Philippines with a group of pastor friends of mine, and we went to see a ministry that we support there through one of our missions partners, Johnny Moore, in Southeast Asia. I went, as a part of uh, the Saturday ministry, I went along with a group of students uh, to do ministry through sidewalk ministries into these impoverished neighborhoods there in Manila, Philippines. There, there's about 76 sites. I saw uh, this past week they launched two more sites, so I guess now there's about 78 sites. I say about because I'm just never sure, but 78 sites, they minister to eight to 10,000 children every single Saturday, 52 weeks a year. And so we went into these like little impoverished neighborhoods. And when I say neighborhoods, I'm not talking about the neighborhoods like you, you live in right here. I'm talking about lean-to's and I'm talking about like cinder block things. And there's six or eight or 10 people living in a room that's like as small as that drum cage right there. It's tiny and there's tons and tons of people living in that little space. And I'm not trying to be exact, like that's, that's, that's the honest truth. And we went and we were walking into and just kind of around the corners and going to these little places where they would find like this central hub between all of these houses. And and some of the young people that were leading this sidewalk mission, they were 15, 16, 17 years old. They're in charge of 100, 150 kids teaching the gospel. And so I'm following them as we kind of navigate these streets. I, I couldn't have found my way and I'd still be there. I don't even know where we went. But I'm following these teenagers and we go back into these little neighborhoods and they lean into one of these houses and they say, hey, sidewalk's here. And that kid jumps out of their house and they start chanting, sidewalk, sidewalk. And they lean over to this other kid who's literally sleeping under a cardboard box. Sidewalk, sidewalk. And those kids start coming out of these little houses and these little lean-tos. And now there's like this, this, this chain. Like they're, 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 they're locking shoulder, they're holding in their chant, Sidewalk, sidewalk. And they get to this little place and these 15, 16, 17 year old kids, they preach the gospel to them. They give them flip flops that are not even close to the right size of their foot, but they don't have to be barefoot anymore. They give them some little candy snacks. They sing songs and play games. And it's this incredible, joyful experience. And the kids that are there and being ministered to, they, they seem to have an incredible time for about the hour, hour and a half we were there. But then they go back to their homes. And two of the the young ladies that were leading the site that I was at in the morning, I went to a different site in the afternoon, the site that I was at in the morning, they said, hey, come, let me show you something. And so I followed them just right around the corner. It was like two corners away. We just made two turns. And one of the girls stops at a door. There's no door on it. It's like an entryway. And she's smiling. And I'm lost. I'm like, "Uh, what am I looking at? She said, this is my house. And She's so excited to show me that this is where she lives, but not just that this is where she lives, that she gets to come back to her neighborhood and share the good news of Jesus Christ with these younger children, because a few years ago, somebody older came and shared it with her, and it changed her life. She doesn't have to. She gets to. Like there's something beyond obedience that like even in extreme poverty, there's an overflow of joy, that there's a richness of generosity. Paul says in the midst of trials, they're overflowing joy and extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. Let's keep reading. He says this entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us. He's still talking about Macedonia. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God also to us. So we urge Titus just as he had earlier made a beginning to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, now he's talking about Corinth. Since you excel in everything in faith in speech and in knowledge in, completing, in complete earnestness and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. He said, you excel in many things, so many good things. But we want you to do more than just obedient living and obedient giving. We want you to have a grace for it, a desire for it that that wells up on the inside of you. Not because I have to, but because I get to. I want a desire for it. He goes on to say this, I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. Now pause for a second. He's not talking about Jesus's money. He's not actually talking about your money or my money. He said, Jesus who was rich, what was he rich in? Righteousness. He was without sin. He could stand before a righteous and holy God. But we who were in poverty, We were sinners in need of a savior. We could not stand in right standing before God. He became poor. He took on our sin so that we could become rich. You see that happening right there? Like he was rich, we were poor. He became poor so we could become rich. He didn't have to, he got to. There's something different there. He was in the garden. What was he doing in the garden? He was kind of talking to the father and negotiating a little bit, praying, praying praying sincerely the way you and I pray, the way we should pray, saying, God, I, is there any chance this cup of suffering can pass from me? If it is, like, let's, let's just kind of let this thing go by. He didn't have to, but he said, you know what? I, I'm rich. And Jeremy's poor. And so what the scripture says is that he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might take on the righteousness of Christ. He was rich, we were poor. He became poor so that we could become rich. And I'm not trying to add to scripture, so please hear my heart. This This is just, this is how I interpret it. This is how I read it. This is what it means to me. This is why I worship. It's like, he didn't have to, but because of me, he chose to. Like he... In the garden, he could have said, like, let this cup of suffering pass me and gotten up from the garden and left, but he said, Paul is poor, I am rich. I will become sin so that Paul can take on the righteousness of Christ. Like, I, he didn't have to, but he got to. That's just my heart. As I read it, I'm not trying to add to it, manipulate I'm just telling you, that's my heart, that he, he didn't have to, but he chose to submit himself, his will, to the Father's will so that we could take on the righteousness of Christ. And this is what it says as we conclude this passage here. He said, and here's my judgment about what is best for you. He's he's counseling them, he's pastoring them. Here's my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first to not only give, but also to have the desire to do so. Not out of just obedience, you had a desire to be a part of this work. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it. What an incredible line. According to your means. For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable, according to the one to what one has, not according to what one does not have. I love that line. Maybe underline those last two sentences there in the passage there in verses eleven and twelve. He said, "Like you've got an eager willingness. You ever had a a goal on January first? I'm gonna work out every day. I'm gonna read the Bible an hour every day." He said, "You have an eager willingness. Now let's match it by completion. Finish what you started." Last year, you gave out of obedience, but you also gave out of an eager desire. You wanted to be a part of it. Like, let's match it. Let's keep the work going. And he said, don't look around you. Don't look at Macedonia. Don't look at the other churches. I know I was talking about them, but listen, it's just according to what you have, not according to what you don't. You're not going to be held accountable for what you don't have in your hands, but whatever God has entrusted to you, whatever is in your hands, if the, the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable. The willingness is there. The gift is. Except You don't have to. You get to. You don't have to. You get to. And so I want to share three quick things. That was just kind of my introduction. I told you I'm going to go long. Y'all are not talking enough. I'm going to stay here for a while. I like this. I want to share three quick things today how to move from have to to get to. You want to move from have to to get to in every area of your life, including giving? the first thing that we've got to do is we've got to be grateful for what we have. It's got to start where we started in worship today. We just need to be grateful. Just grateful for what we have. Like just an attitude of gratitude. I referenced this last week. You don't have to feel guilty for the things that you have, but you should be grateful for them. Like you should be grateful for the blessings. An attitude of gratitude will change a lot in our lives. When we recognize that everything that we have comes from God, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift comes from, like if we recognize that everything comes from God, it should change our attitude and the way that we conduct ourselves. King David, who I've said a number of times, he's, he's, he's my guy, I love King David, I love the stories of King David. We did a whole family series about his jacked up family just a few weeks ago. I love the stories of King David because I draw so much inspiration for this man after God's own heart. He didn't always get it right, but man, he was in pursuit of god and this is what happens here in first chronicles 29 Verse 10 through 14 they're building a church and everybody kind of brings all the supplies for them to build the church And this is what we read in first chronicles 29 David praised the lord in the presence of the whole assembly saying praise be to you lord the god of our father israel from everlasting to everlasting Yours lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and on earth is yours Yours lord is the kingdom You were exalted as head over all Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise, your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your. I mean, he just starts by worshiping God, praising God. All power and splendor and majesty and might and praise is due to you. It's who you are. But who am I? And who are we? Because we recognize that everything we give to you came from you. Like you could just skip a step and keep it all. But you bless us So that we can bless you. You give to us so we can give back to you. Like we've got to have gratitude and an awareness. And I recognize that some of you today, you walked in and you're like, you don't understand what I'm walking through right now. Man, there's so much financial pressure. and, And there's no pressure almost like financial pressure. I get it. I've been right there. Stress and strain and the worry and the uncertainty and I get it but we also have to keep proper perspective. So I don't wanna make light of anything you may be walking through. But according to the latest statistics, if your annual household income is $42,000 a year, you're in the top 1% in the world. If you say, well, okay, 42,000, that would be like three raises from now. (laughs) You're probably in the top 2%, 3%. Like we've got a lot to be thankful for and grateful for. I'm thankful for what our church has. I'm thankful for your generosity. I mean, look around. We don't have everything we want. We don't have all the things and all the pieces in place to do, everything that's in our hearts to do, but we thank God for the blessings that he's bestowed upon us. And because of those things, we, we feel this responsibility to respond to him in good stewardship and in pursuit of him. We don't have to, but we get to. We get to. Here's the second thing to move from have to to get to. We've got to love people like God does. Gotta be grateful for what we have. And then I think we've got to be, we gotta love people like God does. Here's here's how this makes sense in my head. It may not make sense to you, and if it doesn't, I apologize. That means I've gotten in the way here. But as I was preparing and studying, like this is what made sense to me as I'm reading through these passages of scripture. When we focus on have to, obligation and duty, and like, okay, that's obedient. When we focus on have to, it becomes about the task. It's like, well, I gotta pray, right? I gotta pray, this is the prayer moment. I'm gonna bow my head, I'm gonna close my eyes. and this is, We're praying now, I'm gonna pray. So we just, this is about prayer. But when I shift from have to to get to, it's not about the thing. It's about the people. I get to pray for my family. I, I, I get to pray about my job Tomorrow. I get to pray about my finances. I get to pray for those in my family or those who are my friends that are sick and need healing and they're trusting God and they don't know how. I get to call on the strong name of God on their behalf. I don't have to. It's not about prayer, it's about people. It's like, well, I, I, I don't, I mean, it's serving. It's Sunday. This was, my, this was my day, first and third Sunday. They sent me a planning center. I got, I got I, you know, I have to do this. I got to show up. I'm in the toddler room today. I have to change diapers. I have to check kids in. I have to stand at the door. At the end of this thing, I'd like to leave. I'd like to get to lunch early, but, you know, I have to pass the buckets and, you know, just, I got I to gotta play the guitar today. I have to, you know, I don't even like to play the guitar. I didn't really know to play it. I'm faking it. I don't even know how to do that. I didn't even know that song. <laughs> Brian's great. I don't know why I was just picking on guitar, bass, drums, singing. I, I have to, you know, they sent me the thing. So, I mean, like, I'm on the list. I have to. It's about the thing. It's about serving. It's about the role. But when I shift to get to, I'm leading people in this room into the presence of God in worship. I'm loving those little babies upstairs and those toddlers. I'm I'm leading a small group of middle school students. They're not even listening to me half the time, but I'm leading these middle schoolers towards the saving knowledge and the growing knowledge of a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not about showing up on Sunday nights because I have to. I get to serve these students. I get to. It's different. It changes my perspective when I love people like God does. Acts chapter 2, verse 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. And they sold property and possessions to give anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. They didn't have to. They got to come together and fellowship and break bread and eat together and love one another and jump into G groups. They didn't call it that, but that's what it was, G groups, and jump on the serving team, that G team. That's not what they called it, but that's what it was, serving one another, loving one another, caring for the needs of other people. And watch what happens two chapters later in Acts chapter four, verse 32 through 35. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. But they shared everything they had with great power. The apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them, all uh, in them, all that there were in them all, that there were no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to those who had need. They're just having so much fun together. They were unified. They weren't divided over dumb things. They shared everything that they had. No one was needy. They brought in what they had to the church, and they said, hey, if you know anybody in need, just take this and bless them with it and meet the need. Let me tell you how well you love people. Let me tell you, I told you last week you're a generous church. Let me tell you a few quick examples. This past year, you sent over 50 kids to youth camp. And some of the parents, for sure, you paid the registration fees, and, and so I don't wanna minimize that. You, you paid for your kid to go to camp. But there were a number of people within our church who, who gave money. They don't, they don't have a kid going to camp. And they gave money so that some kids whose parents couldn't afford for them to go, they got to go and they got to worship and to hear the truth of God's word and experience the power of those worship services and play games and have fun and fellowship together and in cabin time and eat a bunch of candy from the canteen and just have an incredible week of camp and we give as a church to help fund that camp, and we send those students, and we send those leaders because you love to invest in the next generation financially and with your time. In August and January of this year, we fed some of the student-athletes from Reinhardt University. Some of these students, men and women, they have moved from literally other places in the world or for sure other states in the United States to come and to use their, their skill and their gift to, to play sports at Reinhardt. And, We were able to feed them and they came and worshiped with us. And some of them have come back to be a part of some of our ministries and we've gone to support them. Some of our team has gone to support them and watch them and to build relationship and just to invest in them. And you helped make that happen. We just love people the way that God loves them, those students, so that when they're far from home, they know there's a place here where they're loved and accepted. We don't have to, but we get to. We've been able to help fill over $2,100 worth of benevolence needs in the last few months for people that are just hard on their luck right now. Just They just need some help. We helped a mom to get beds for her children at the Cherokee Family Violence Center. We just went and paid for those beds and mattresses so those kids wouldn't have to sleep on the floor that night. You helped make that happen, not because we have to, but because we get to, because we want to love people the way that God loves them. We're a Church of God church. That's the denomination we're a part of. Millions of members around the world, we're a part of a family, we're a part of an army. And over the last six years, I saw some statistics the other day. Over the last six years, our church has given over $150,000 to the Church of God. And during that same period of time, the number that I just saw this last week is that in the last six years in the Church of God, 1,744,125 people have been saved in Church of God Ministries. Now, that's incredible. And they were not saved Because of our $150,000. They wouldn't have been saved if we gave $150 million. God saves people. We don't save people. Our money doesn't save people. But we supported ministries and we sponsored missionaries and we invested in campgrounds and events and and people were saved because they got into an environment that you helped to create, not because you have to, but because you get to. Because we want to love people the way that God loves people. We support the association of related churches. We help plant churches all over the world. Last week, we helped to plant two more churches. Now, as, as a relation, our partnership with the Ark. There's been over a thousand and fifty churches that have been planted in the history of the Ark. Last week, two more were planted. You were a part of that. I asked them to put some pictures up. Last week, we helped to plant this church in Inglewood, California. Illuminate Church. That guy is cool. If I lived in Inglewood, I would go to his church. You would too. Don't lie. Okay, so. Illuminate. We helped plant Illuminate Church in Inglewood, California last week. We also helped to plant this church called Life to Life Church in Johannesburg, South Africa, just last week. Your giving our partnership with the ark. You helped to plant two churches. Today, we helped plant another church. In, in, uh, it's called Abbey Life Church. It's in Newton Abbey, Northern Ireland. Now, because of the time change, they're probably already going to bed, But today, before you got up, your money went ahead of you and helped to plant a church in Northern Ireland. And I just have to believe by faith that people who were lost came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we love people like God loves people and we serve and give not because we have to, but because we get to. I I believe this with all of my heart. And so when I think about all of these things, you heard my heart last week, we're, we're buying the building. The whole building, 36,000 square feet, including the renters. We're gonna keep them in place and honor their their leases until we need that space and then we'll make those business decisions and our trustees will help make all of that with wisdom and discernment. I'm so excited I could bust. We send the first part of that money tomorrow and then we're gonna move towards closing in about 60 days. And I told you, my heart is that we would have the building free and clear. $3.9 million. We've been working with the banks to get the financing in order. We feel like we're, we're where we need to be. But I sat with the landlord a few weeks ago and I said, hey, listen, we wanna be debt-free. That can happen one of two ways. The first way is you just give us the building. And he laughed like that. But we hadn't closed yet. Who knows what the Lord's gonna do? I said, or we'll buy the building from you and God supernaturally will provide the resources for us to pay it off. Not as fast as humanly possible, as fast as supernaturally possible, right? And he said, well, you tell me when that happens. I said, or you could just give us the building, right? But you've heard my heart. Like, that's, that's my heart, that we would be debt free so that every single penny that comes in would be turned right back into ministry and helping people. It wouldn't go to a bank. Banks are not evil. The people that work at banks that I've met with are fantastic people who are supporting what we're trying to accomplish here. But so that no, no single penny that doesn't have to would have to go to a bank, but it would go towards helping meet the needs of people, investing in local schools, ministering to families, planting new churches, starting new orphanages, equipping and resourcing grandparents to be more intentional with their grandchildren, building women's shelters, serving college students, helping parents who want to adopt but can't afford it to be able to have the child that they desire and desire to love so that every single penny that comes in would be sent right back out. God, who are we? King David said, "Who, who am I and who are our people here? Because we know that everything we give comes from you anyway. It's all yours. We don't have to, but we get to. I'm doing good. I said I'd preach an hour and a half. I've only been about half that time. Just hang with me for a second. Here's the third thing. We don't move from have to to get to. We gotta fall in love with Jesus. We gotta fall in love with Jesus. We gotta be grateful for all that we have. We've gotta love people the way that God loves them. And to be able to move from this obedience to a desire, we just gotta fall in love with Jesus. My assumption, if you're in the room, is that you have at least a cursory curiosity about who he is. But I know some of you, you have a deep-rooted love for him. My desire for you as your pastor is that you would fall so in love with Jesus that your heart beats for the things that his heart beats for. That your heart breaks for the things that break his heart. That you would, you would be so certain of his word and the truth of his word because you just love him. You love his word. You hunger and thirst for his word. Time spent with him, time in worship. And maybe you find yourself asking a similar question to what we see in Psalm 116 and 12. And it says, what can I offer the Lord for all that he has done for me? God, what? What can I offer you? Like what, what, can I, what can I give back to you, God? Like, for all that you've done, like, all the things we just sang about and blessings, and like, what, what, what can I offer to the Lord? But I don't think that's what he's asking from you because that's about duty. That's about ob- obligation. That's transactional. Where, where you would just say like, God, you gave me this. I'll give you this. No, no, no. I, I think it's just, God, I love you so much. Everything that I have is yours. Just direct my life in the way that you would have me to go. He, he doesn't actually want your money. He wants you, all of you. He wants your hobbies and your relationships and your worship and your passions and your giftedness and your work life He wants all of you. He doesn't want your 10%. He wants 100% of you. God, everything that I have comes from you. Everything that I give, you gave to me. It's actually all yours. Thank you. Thank you that you entrust 90% to stick with me to do something with. It's, It's a different mindset because I'm just so in love with Jesus and I love people the way he loves them and I'm grateful for everything that I have And right there in the Sermon on the Mount, in the first sermon, the first ministry time that Jesus ever did, in Matthew chapter six, verse 21, there's this this really challenging, often misquoted, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And I've heard that over and over and over in different ways, in different contexts. I've preached it. And the thought is like, okay, God, like, I think I get it. Like, okay, i if I, if I show you my bank account, you'll tell me the things that I love. Where, where's my treasure? Where do I put it? Okay, well, that, that must be where my heart's at. I, I, I think it's a little bit the opposite. I mean, I think that captures part of it too. But maybe you would say, okay, I don't love missions. You're talking about missions. I don't love missions. We're going to Casa Shalom in September, the orphanage in Guatemala. Maybe you can't go on that trip. Maybe when you come to March Madness Saturday night, you talk to Bruce Deal about going down to City of Refuge. Invest some time on the mission field. Invest some resources, raise some money. Buy a plane ticket, fly there, drive there, give a day, give a weekend, give a week. Like just invest your treasure into missions. And here's what I promise you. Your heart will follow you there. I, I've been there. I, I, I've been in those places of missions work and what God is, like your heart. And if it doesn't, if you come back and you say, hey, I still hate it. I'll give you all your money back. Every penny. You say, I don't, I don't, I don't love to serve. I, I don't, it's, not, it's not for me. Okay, well just try it. Just give some of your time and your talent, your treasure, like just, just put yourself there and, and invest yourself there. And I promise you, you're not gonna look at it as I have to go serve there should be a switch on the inside of you that your heart just follows your investment. See, I love those kids. I love those students. I love holding an umbrella and helping people. I, I love greeting. I love, I love passing. I, I love to make the coffee. I, I, lo- I love to run. I love to play. I love to, my heart is wherever I've invested my life. So here's the question for all of us. Where do you want your heart to be? What do you want your heart to be? Then just invest yourself there. If you're here today and you came to this church and you've been here for a Sunday or five Sundays or 50 Sundays or 500 Sundays and everything I'm talking about, you say, hey, this doesn't sound like it's for me. Then let us help you find a place. Another church in this community, there's hundreds of amazing churches. I'm on Cherokee Connect. Every time somebody says, I'm looking for a church, there's like hundreds of comments including ours. Thank you for responding, by the way. But I love my church. I love this church. I lo- and they're just listing church, church, church. There's great, I'll help you find one. But when you get there and you determine that it's for you, invest yourself there. Your time, your talent, your treasure. Like give every, not because you have to, but because we get to. But if this is your place, this is your home, like this is where you're gonna show up on a rainy Sunday after time change. You're going to be here. Invest yourself here. Just give everything. Give everything you have here. Go all in and ask God, God, what would it look like if I just gave you everything I have for a year here? Your heart will fall in love with this place. Not because we're perfect. There's no perfect church and we are far from it. Because God's doing amazing things here. And we get to be a part of it. We don't have to. We get to be a part of it. It's beyond obedience. The Lord is at work in us to give us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. It just makes sense. It just makes sense. We don't have to. We get to. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your head. Close your eyes just for a moment. God, I love this place so much. I love these people so much. I love your word so much. I love what you're doing here so much that if if my passion and my desire to just say what's in my heart and what you've laid on my heart got out of whack today, Lord, I, I repent. But I pray your word goes forth. I pray your Holy Spirit deliver into our hearts and to our minds all that you have for us today. We don't have to, we get to. And you desire to do a work in us. So God, do that work in us. If you would say to me today, Jeremy, for me, I am not in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I, I, I haven't fallen in love with him. I need him to forgive my sins and to be the Lord of my life. If that's you would you just lift your hand we want to pray for you invite you into the family of god allow god to do what only he can do thank you so much you can put it down thank you so much and now if you would say jeremy for me in one or more areas of my life i gotta switch from half to to get to there's some changes that need to be made in my heart and in my life and i want god to start that work today if that's you would you just lift your hand thank you so much tons of hands both services today God we thank you for those who've raised their hand today to make a decision to enter into relationship with you. It never gets old that you save lost people, including me. So God we celebrate with heaven now for those who've made that decision. and God we ask you to help us to help them to take first and next steps into relationship with you, God. And God, we thank you now for those who lifted their hand to say, "I just want to shift my mindset from half to to get to." Help them to be more grateful for all that you've entrusted into their hands. Help them to love people the way that you love them. And God, more than ever before, let them fall in love with your son, Jesus Christ. And let it reshape everything that we do. From external obligation to an internal motivation. Out of our growing relationship with you. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray.